gosh, we hope that for each and every one of you, as the scripture says, that you would walk in the light. You wouldn't walk in the flesh, that you would walk in the spirit. Gosh, if we could all live in such a way, um, how incredible would that be? Welcome to Grace Church, and this morning I just wanted to uh, start out by thanking um, those that uh, uh, spoke last month. I wanted to thank uh, Kyle Hansen and Keith Elwine. I wanted to thank Randy Rowland, Justin Osborne, um, and they did an incredible job speaking on connection and, and how important connection is for us as children of God, to be connected to one another, to have fellowship, to have that accountability, to have people that we can lean on when we're struggling when we're going through hardships, um, to have people to celebrate when God is blessing in our lives. Connection is so critical and so important in our lives, and, and uh, man, those guys did an incredible job. I also wanted to thank Pastor Chris. Um, I know he spoke last Sunday and just did an incredible job, and um, I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, he w- at the beginning he was talking something about the Cleveland Indians, and uh, I think we actually have a picture of Pastor Chris. Oh, man. All right. <laughs> How things can change in a week. Wow, things can change so quickly, so drastically in just a week. It's weird. Didn't they have a three-to-one lead in the series, and they ended up losing? Actually, Chris is a really good sport, man. I really love and appreciate that guy. But uh, if you notice when you walk in, we're we're calling this Color Rush Sunday. Once again, by the way, we're a church. We, We don't mind to have fun. We think it's okay. And so, uh, man, we're uh, just kind of having a good time wearing uh, different colors and, and uh, enjoying that. But uh, you notice Chris wore a Browns jersey, and uh, everybody's already laughing. I haven't even said anything. And uh, you would think most of the time you have to buy jerseys, right? But he actually was given that one. Like, they were just giving them away. And uh, what's really funny, though, is uh, I actually saw... You know, Chick-fil-A, I saw a sign on a Chick-fil-A restaurant, and it read, we take Sundays off just like the Browns, and uh, so I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> oh, man. So you knew when you wore that jersey you were wearing a Target, right? <laughs> Randy's giving you one. That's good, man. That's good. Well, this morning we are starting a new series in the book of Proverbs, and it's called Proverbs Top 31, and it's actually going to be 31 messages in the book of Proverbs, but it's not going to be 31 in a row. We're going to break it up. We're going to do a four-week series during the month of November. Uh, Into next year, we're going to be breaking these 31 sermons up into different series, Um, and uh, man, love the book of Proverbs. Uh, It's been an incredible book in my life, and I'm excited to uh, be in this book, to be studying it, to be preaching it, be teaching it. And this morning, you noticed if you grabbed an info card or an info sheet, on the back is some sermon notes. And the title of the sermon today is Jesus for President. All right? Woo! All right? I think Jesus would say, I don't want to be president. I'm already Lord. Okay? But I needed a sermon title, so that's what we put. Um, I wanted to start this morning by taking a little survey. And so everyone gets to play along, all right? This is fun. Nobody's going to, um, you know, if you raise your hand, you're not going to be held accountable to it. Just, just don't be shy. Don't be scared. Raise your hand. And everybody gets to play along. And let me ask a couple questions. Once again, raise your hand, okay? Participate. Let me start with this question. How many of you actually enjoy the drama 
and the tension and even the chaos associated with the presidential election. Come on, right? Raise your hand. Oh, yes, yes, raise it high. Yes, all right. How many of you cannot wait for it to be over? Raise your hand. All right. I love it. I love it. Let me ask another question. How many of you can't can't stand it? You would even say maybe, I actually hate it when the topic of politics comes up around my friends and my family. It's just, it's so uncomfortable. I I actually hate that when the topic even comes up. Um, How many of you would say, I actually bring up the topic? Okay, I actually try to make it uncomfortable. All right, let me get a good look at who those are. Can you raise again? Can we take a picture? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Let me see. How many of you would say, I've actually watched every presidential debate? All right? Come on, be American, right? I've watched all three of them. How many of you would say, I've watched maybe a couple here and there, a couple here and there? How many of you would say, presidential debates? There's... What? There's an election? What's going on here? I don't even know. All right. <laughs> uh, okay, last question. All right. Who thinks that churches and maybe preachers in, in particular should stay away from all things political? All right. Ooh, that was a heavy one. All right. All right. Some people might say we shouldn't even be talking about this, but we're going to. All right. So. Okay, here's where we're going to start today. We're going to start by, uh, I'm going to issue a corporate challenge to the church this morning, to you, okay? Here's the challenge, and honestly, I'm not sure if most Christians can pull this off, but you are a special group of people, okay? You are a peculiar people. I think you can do this. You are a special group, and I, I believe that you can rise to the challenge. So the challenge that I want to call you to this morning is this. I want to challenge you to put your faith before your politics. Put your faith before your politics. To put your faith filter way up front, okay, at the top, and your political filter somewhere way below that. The challenge is this, to be a Christ follower first and a Republican second. Okay? Be a Christ follower first and a Democrat second. Be a Christ follower first and an independent or a libertarian or whatever political views you have, would you submit those or would you put those political views below your faith values or your Christian values? Okay, that's the challenge this morning. Because if if your politics is above or before your faith, you're out of whack, okay? You're out of sorts. Something's amiss. And how do I know this? Because things can happen in your life that can make your political views completely irrelevant. I have dealt with a lot of people who have gone through some very extreme, difficult situations. I have stood next to people that were on their deathbed. And I have never had someone say, Pastor Justin, Pastor Justin, I know death is coming. Can you just read to me? 
portion of the Constitution. Pastor, please. Could you? As important as this is, as amped up as we can get about politics, I know something about you. I know instinctively, deep down, we know that there are more important things. You know this. I know this. And at the end of the day, your faith really is more important. So the challenge is to put your faith before your politics. You know, the funny thing is, is most of us, we think we have this down already. All right? I already got this, Pastor. You know, um, my faith, my politics, man, they, yeah, I got this down. I got it. I got it. It's always those other people. It's always that other political party. If only they could think like me, right? The world would be good. The world would be right. If only they could get it through their thick skulls, right? Thick skulls. Everyone would be better off. As we move into this new series in the book of Proverbs, I have to remind us all, church. I have to remind us. And you know this already. This is just a kind reminder that we live on a broken Our world is broken. Broken. You've probably noticed that things don't work right all the time. People get old. People die. There is corruption. Not everyone treats everyone as they should. Not everyone is nice to everyone. We live on a broken, fallen planet. So to think that a certain politician or a certain political view or a certain political party is going to restore this planet back to rightness and wholeness? You're kidding yourself. Yet many times we fall right into that trap. And you know, it's the same trap that the children of Israel fell into when they demanded that they have a king. They got to a point where God wasn't good enough. I want a king to lead me. I want a king to tell me what to do. I want a king. And they put all their hope and they put all their future plans, they put all their, could I dare say it, worship on a man, a king. If only we had a king to rule over us. Maybe in our day we could say it this way. If only we could get the house majority. If only we could get the majority in Congress, then all will be right with the world. You know, the video that you saw at the beginning before this message is, was just to remind us in these crazy, weird, and even difficult days that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Jesus Christ. Not a political party not a certain form of government, not a president, not even a country. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. His church is a city that is set on a hill. And you know, when things feel bleak or when things feel hopeless, these are opportune times. These are very important times for the church. And remember, you're the church. It's not this building. It's not stained glass windows. It's not the screen, the guitar. You are the church. 
These are opportune times for the church to be the church. Only the church can be the church. The government can never be the voice of the church. And you know what our culture deeply needs? Our our culture deeply needs the church to be the church. What does that mean? The church can offer hope and love and life and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world is looking for hope. And the world is looking for a hope that lasts. And that hope can only be found in Jesus Christ. That hope can only be found in the message of the gospel. And catch this, all right? Catch this. Yes, the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the gospel is so much more than that. The gospel isn't just some event that happened in the past. The gospel is Christ in me right now. Presently, the, the gospel is Christ in you. That's the gospel. Living in such a way where people see Christ in me right now. Yes, that past historical event was of, of extreme importance. But the gospel is Christ right now in me, in you. Catch this. Okay, listen. God will continue to work out his purposes in this world no matter who's elected. God will continue to work out his purposes in this world no matter who's elected. So, before we dive into Proverbs, we could all just take a deep breath. Alright? Let's do it right now. Ah, it's not a yoga class, but you know, kind of felt like it a little bit. Alright. Let's take a deep breath and let's put our faith before our politics. All right, let's go to the book of Proverbs and and I believe this book is going to help us better understand, it's going to help us better navigate these crazy political waters that we're in. Let me answer the question first of all, why would we go to the book of Proverbs? Like why would we use the the book of Proverbs for guidance in this area? Well first of all, it's the book of wisdom and if ever we lived in a day where we need wisdom, it's right now. Okay, so that's a good reason to use this book. Um, The book of Proverbs offers wisdom in all areas of life. The book of Proverbs was also, it was mostly written by King Solomon. Solomon was writing to his son, and his intention was to prepare him to rule in his place over Israel. So many times when you're reading through the book of Proverbs, it'll start out with, my son. My son, listen to my words. My son, son. So he's speaking to princes. He's speaking to people that are going to step up into those positions of leadership. King Solomon was not only instructing his son about wisdom in general, but also about wisdom as related to governing a nation. Alright, I'm going to just touch the surface this morning. Man, the book of Proverbs is filled with wisdom for those that rule and lead guide countries and nations. So the book of Proverbs is a perfect book to go to when you're in need of guidance, when you're in need of wisdom, especially dealing with political matters, okay? One other important thing I need to share before we dive in, before we move forward, is I need to briefly talk about our form of government. 
here in the U.S. In the days of David, or in the days of Solomon, authority to govern the nation of Israel was centralized, okay? Uh, it was virtually the king alone who determined the course of the nation. The king made the laws, the, the king established the standards. I mean, what the king said is what they did. They were large and in charge, okay? It was a king-type uh, government. The king established the standards, set the laws in place. What the king said is what happened. And maybe you know this. I, I'm sure you do. This form of rule is still the norm in many parts of the world today. Many countries still function in this way. But in America, however, government is of the people, by the people, and for the people. That's the government that we live under. So our form of government is different than even King Solomon's form of government. Okay, so I think it's just good to understand that when you're reading the book of Proverbs, kind of have that filter to understand that. In our nation, every American shoulders the responsibility. Okay, our government represents the people. So what we do is we elect officials who act, or they're supposed to act, on our behalf. Okay, that's how it works. Um, we all have the right, we all have the responsibility to elect those who will govern righteously. And when our officials fail to keep this trust, we have an obligation to try to change their minds or we work to replace them, to remove them from that office of service. Now, since it's us then who are responsible to elect those who will re represent us, Let's look at the book of Proverbs, okay? And let's better understand what we should be looking for. <clears throat> First of all, Solomon makes it very clear that righteousness is good for the governed. When I say governed, that's you, that's me. We are governed. Okay, righteousness is good for the governed. Check out Proverbs 11, verses 10 and 11. It says, the whole city celebrates when the godly succeed. They shout for joy when the wicked die. Upright citizens are good for a city and make it prosper, but the talk of the wicked tears it apart. Proverbs 14.34 Godliness makes a nation great, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Proverbs 29.2 When the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are in power, they groan. It doesn't go well for that nation, for those people. Okay, the, the point of these Proverbs is that righteousness is not only right, but righteousness is best. It's best. When righteousness is promoted and preserved by a government, the people are blessed. The people are, are living a blessed life. They're encouraged. But when a government fails to achieve this intended purpose, the people suffer. And like Solomon said, they groan. Ugh. They groan when the government are not walking in righteousness. Secondly, we learn from Solomon that righteousness is good for the government. Okay, for those who lead us. All right, hello, righteousness is good for the government. Proverbs 20, 28. 
unfailing love and faithfulness protect the king. His throne is made secure through force. No. His throne is made secure through love. Proverbs 28.2, when there is moral rot, when there is stinky moral rot within a nation, its government topples easily. But wise and knowledgeable leaders bring stability. Look at verse 16 in that same chapter. A ruler with no understanding will oppress his people. Man, there are some rulers in this world today that have no understanding because they oppress their people. But then it says, the one who hates corruption. Ah, I'm going to read that one again. The one who hates corruption will have a long life. Let's check out two more verses. Proverbs 29, 12. If a ruler pays attention to liars, all his advisors will be wicked. Proverbs 29, 14. If a king judges the poor fairly, his throne will last forever. So righteousness brings stability. Righteousness is good for the government. Now, the third thing that Solomon teaches us is that a good government relies upon divine assistance. With all the criticism, okay, with all the criticism that politicians get and often rightly deserve, I think we all agree that their job is not an easy one. Their job's not easy. Government deals with matters that can be daunting and can be extremely complicated. They also deal with matters that are God-given, such as justice, equity, or right and wrong. Okay, these are all God-given, and the government deals with these matters. And let, me, let me just ask the question, how do we even know what's right and wrong? How do we even know? I mean, who gets to decide what's right and what's wrong? How do we even know this? God has given us standards. God has declared what's right and what's wrong, that's how we know. A good government is one that promotes righteousness. So what is righteousness? We're talking a lot about righteousness, so what is it? Righteousness means to abide by the law. Wow. I hope we have a government that promotes that. We need to abide by the law. Righteousness also means to be upright and honorable. And very simply put, righteousness means to do the right thing. The right thing according to who? The right thing according to God. A government that wants to function in such a way, a government that wants to pursue justice and rightness must rely upon divine assistance. Righteousness, doing what's right, belongs in the political office. So once again, who, who gets to determine what's right, what's wrong? You know, God has established the standards. God has, in his word, has made it very clear what's right, what's wrong. And if you've noticed, that God actually doesn't function in a democracy. He didn't take a vote like, hey, who's in favor that murder should be wrong? Okay, I'll say aye. 
all in favor say aye. He doesn't function that way. He says, thou shalt not murder. That was enough. God has established the standards. Proverbs 28 and verse 5, it says, evil people don't understand justice. And can I, let me just give a little disclaimer here. These Proverbs, when you read them, they, they are so simple, but when you dive into it, sometimes the depth of these verses are unending. They're incredible. And so my encouragement to you is to dive into some of these verses. Write some of these verses down. Study them on your own when you get home. But start asking yourself questions like, what does that word justice mean? What, what is he talking about when he says they don't understand justice? Start diving into that. Start studying it out. Evil people don't understand justice. But those who follow the Lord understand completely. So so what makes a good leader? What makes a good president, a good ruler? What characteristics should we be looking for in a president? So let's see what Solomon has to say about this. Solomon says a good leader... In, in our case, a good president is concerned for the poor, the helpless, and the afflicted. Oh, man, here is a good verse right here. A couple, couple good verses. Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. Speaking once again to rulers or those who are in authority. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. That's incredible. I know many of you probably had some present-day thoughts that just ran through your mind. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. Solomon urges those who reign not to abuse their power, but to use it to protect the powerless. And that's a great characteristic of a leader. A good president also seeks after truth and justice. And and a good president leads without favoritism. You know, because those in positions of power, they can often be swayed by certain influential people in the community or in the country. They can be swayed by people who have lots of money And Solomon condemns such behavior from a leader, and he insists that a good leader seek after justice and honesty, uprightness. Proverbs 17.23 says, The wicked take secret bribes to pervert the course of justice. And that's one of the things that makes our nation so great is our justice. But man, when it's perverted or when people are taking bribes, it's, it, it makes it to where it's no longer justice. Proverbs 18 and verse 5, it says, it is not right to acquit the guilty or deny justice to the innocent. Proverbs 24, verses 23 through 25 says, it is wrong to show favoritism when passing judgment. A judge who says to the wicked, you are innocent, will be by many people and denounced by the nations. But it will go well for those who convict the guilty. 
rich blessings will be showered upon them. So a righteous leader fights for what's right. Lastly, a good president punishes evildoers and protects people from evil. A righteous leader doesn't tolerate wickedness, can't put up with it. And and he or she judges fairly, or could I say, they actually use common sense. Okay? Proverbs 20 and verse 8. When a king sits in judgment, he weighs all the evidence, distinguishing the bad from the good. Proverbs 25 and verse 5 says, Remove the wicked from the king's court. His advisors, those who are influencing him, remove the wicked from his court, and his reign will be made secure by justice. I think that's a good verse for sermon. I'm going to say it here. He or she fights for justice, fights for what's right defends the poor and the helpless, leads with fairness, and does what's right because it's the right thing to do. All right, this all sounds good, Pastor Justin. Sounds good. So who should we vote for? Huh? Tell us that. Here's the truth of the matter. In this current election that we're in, What I have heard from both sides of the political spectrum, this is just what I've heard, and I've heard this statement actually a lot, and I've heard it more and more, and I've heard this statement more than any other statement, is this. I don't want to vote for any candidate. I don't want to vote for anybody. And let me just say, people actually have been making this statement for decades. Pretty much every election you'll hear that statement. Okay? But I do believe they are more sincere about it this time around. Once again, just my opinion, okay? People really don't want to vote for any of the options presented. Now let me just share some comforting truth with us this morning as we move into new political realities. It's easy for us to think that If my party doesn't win or if my viewpoint isn't represented in the halls of power, that somehow God has let you down. And I get that. I I get that. It's, It's important stuff. But here's the comforting truth. God has always worked out his purposes in the world under every condition imaginable, under every form of government imaginable. He worked out his purposes when Egypt was in power, when Babylon was in power, when Rome was in power, when Nazi Germany was in power. His purposes have continued through world wars. In every circumstance, God's purposes will continue. Has it all been easy? Has it all been good? Absolutely not. But God hasn't been shocked by it. He hasn't been surprised by it. And his ultimate plan of redemption is still right on track. Check out Proverbs 21 and verse 1. This is an incredible verse. It says the kings, or maybe in our case we could say the presidents, you know, the congregants.
Congress, Senate, their hearts, the Supreme Court, their hearts are like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides them, He guides it wherever He pleases. God birthed the church during the time of Nero, one of the most ruthless rulers this planet has ever known. God's plans have survived every faithful and unfaithful leader in human history because they are His plans. God's faithfulness in the past is evidence of God's faithfulness into the future. He's been faithful. He's going to be faithful. You can trust Him. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be involved. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have opinions. But what I am saying, church, is don't lose hope. The world doesn't spin in outer space based upon the results of the U.S. presidential election. Okay? This planet, man, spinning out in the middle of nowhere. God is in control. He's in charge. So church, my encouragement this morning is let's be about God's plan of redeeming the world no matter the election results. That's what the church should be about is redemption. Let's be a part of God's redemptive plan to change the world, not just one nation. Let's have a worldview, and maybe by God's grace, it could be God's worldview. For God so loved the world. You know, if you're trying to find hope, or you're trying to find security, or peace, or joy, if you're trying to find purpose in politics, you will always be greatly disappointed. There will never be a perfect form of government under human guidance, ever. Remember, our world is broken. Our politicians are broken. Our systems are not perfect. We are broken. You're broken. The only way we can truly find hope, and security, and peace, and joy, and purpose is in Christ and through Jesus Christ. The only perfect form of government that will ever exist is found in Zechariah chapter 14, verses 3 through 11. And it will be when Christ returns to rule over the earth in perfect righteousness. Every decision right. Everything right. And it will not be a democracy. It will be a dictatorship. Jesus will be in charge will be in charge. And it will be right. Righteousness. Let me give a little clarification on the challenge that I have put before you to put your faith before your politics. Because some, some of you might be going, man, what does that mean? How does it work? Like, give us, give us something more. And I'm going to start by making a statement that might offend some of you, and I'm not trying to. Okay, I'm not doing this purposefully, but here we go. If God lines up perfectly with your political party, you're worshiping a false God. Because Jesus himself was the one who said, his kingdom is not of this world. Sadly, many Christians, they talk about, they promote, they serve, they give more of their time, more of their money, more of their creativity to their political party than they do to the redemptive work of God in this world. 
Putting faith before politics means the work of the local church is more important now than ever. You are the church. You are. And the church of God is that city on a hill that can do what the government cannot do. And that is the church can provide hope and purpose and joy and life. The church can provide a life that's truly worth living through Jesus Christ. Government cannot do that. So how is this done? How do we do this? It means that we fight hard. We fight harder than you're fighting right now to live out our values, to live out our faith in the teachings of Jesus Christ rather than spending all of our energy and our efforts and our resources trying to legislate them. Living your values always beats legislating your values. Hands down, every time. You cannot legislate the human heart. And only Christ can transform it. Only Christ can transform it. Putting faith before politics means that we put down our picket signs and we pick up our serving towels. And we start serving people. Because I've never seen someone walk across a picket line and change their stance or their viewpoint. But I have seen people completely transformed power of God. And that transformation happened when they saw Jesus Christ in his word and in his people. We are the hands. We are the feet. We are the voice of Almighty God. We are so let's live out our faith before we try to legislate. Let's live it out. Because so many are, so many people want change, but so many people are unwilling to change. And what if that change has to start with you? Saying, okay, I'm going to get off my high horse and I'm going to, in humility, surrender all to Jesus Christ. I'm going to go where he leads me to go. I'm going to do what he leads me to I'm going to end with some words from Jesus Christ. The one we worship. And it's found in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. And uh, if you remember kind of the context of what's going on here, Jesus was asked by some religious people, what is the most important thing to God? What is most important? Come on, Jesus, you, you claim to be, you know, religious. You, you claim to be a good teacher. You say that you're close to God. So tell us, Jesus, what is most important? I know there's a lot of important things, but what is that one, you know, what's, what's most important? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Now before they could even catch their breath, Jesus continued. He said, hold on, hold on, there's more. A second is equally important. 
love only those you agree with. Only those who vote the same way you do. Only those who look like you or have the same social status. No, of course not. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Oh man, like, why, why couldn't he have just stopped with loving God? Because I can love God on the inside. I can love God inside and maybe people know, maybe they don't. But loving my neighbor? Like that has to be on the outside. That means I have to do stuff. It has to show itself. And then Jesus went on to say the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And if you remember the rest of Jesus was asked by a religious man, religious people, man, you gotta love them, right? You gotta love them. Who is our neighbor, Jesus? Who is our neighbor? Come on, I, I need a little more explanation. I'm trying to find wiggle room so I can get out of this, you know? Give me a little more. Do you remember the story that Jesus told after he was asked this question? Who, who is our neighbor? Jesus went on to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. <laughs> this is so incredible, church. You remember, the Good Samaritan was a man who served and helped another man who had been beaten and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. Now, remember, the man that was on the side of the road who needed help was of a completely different ethnicity. He had completely different political views. His social status was completely different. He didn't even speak the same language as the Good Samaritan. Everything about his lifestyle was different. But the Good Samaritan still served the Good Samaritan still blessed. The Good Samaritan still took care of this man's needs. Now, if you remember the story, after Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, he looked that religious man right in the eye, and he said, now go and do the same thing. God said, what's most important to me is that you love me on the inside and that you demonstrate that love or you show that love for me by the way that you treat people. Christians, we have to lead the way on how we treat people. The way you put your faith before your politics is to put God and people first. Why? Because Republican or Democrat, Left or right, you are all precious in his sight. Jesus loves little children. I don't know where I'm going. Um, Father God, thank you for this church. I'm thankful that we can come to such a, it seems like a playing with fire when we even mention the word politics. But yet we go to your word and you have given us who 
great wisdom that not only gives us comfort, but it helps us to navigate. It helps us to live out our lives in such a way that brings you glory and honor. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church, you would help us as individuals to put our faith before our politics, that we would love God, we would love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we would love people what their background, their skin color, how much money they make, their lifestyle, whatever, we would love them. And by God's grace, they could see Christ. They could see a difference and that their lives could be redeemed. Their lives could be transformed. And they could be saved by the power of Jesus Christ and they could no longer live under that condemnation of sin, under that curse, that they would be set free from. Lord, I, I pray for these people. I know many have probably already made decisions in regards to the elections, and some have decisions to make. But I just, I pray that they would make decisions that, uh, to the best of their ability, that they believe are going to honor you, and they, they can line it up with your word. But God, I guess, I guess I just wanted to pray that they wouldn't place their hopes in those decisions. And they wouldn't kind of put all their chips in that one where we live, we have the right, we have the responsibility to vote, 